United Methodist Church. Loving as God intends through helping, healing, and home. Good morning. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John. It's in chapter 17, verses 1 through 26. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them, and now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so they may be one, as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except for one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also 
whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning with the hearing of your word. May you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a mind to understand. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're beginning a three-week series called Lenses. And we will be examining what shapes our worldview and our view of the church, our mission and call. We will look at the biblical text that help us to see how God intended us to view these things and how to move forward in light of the call to make Christ known and to know him more. In the book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis writes this in the preface, We are not living in a world where all roads are radii of a circle and where all, if followed long enough, will therefore draw gradually nearer and finally meet at the center. Rather, in a world where every road, after a few miles, forks into two, and each of those into two again. And at each fork, you must make a decision. Even on the biological level, life is not like a pool, but like a tree. It does not move towards unity, but away from it. And the creatures grow further apart as they increase in perfection. Good, as it ripens, becomes continually more different, not only from evil, but from other good. Our lens this morning that we're going to be talking about is unity. How we are united as Christ's church. And we open our series on Father's Day with a prayer that Jesus prayed just before his arrest. It is a prayer for his disciples, not just the disciples in that moment, but all disciples and followers of Christ, that they would be united. This is the Son talking to the Father, and the time has come to glorify the Father, and the Father will honor the Son. Jesus has shown who God is by the life he has lived, and the disciples have kept the Father's word. They haven't been perfectly obedient disciples, but they have accepted Jesus as God's Son, and that's what unites them. Jesus prays for the disciples and indicates that he is asking on their behalf, but not 
on behalf of the world for protection and that God would watch over them. This raises a question for me. How is the world defined in this context? So, we're going to check some previous chapters. John 14, 15 through 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. Another verse, John 15, or chapter John 15, verses 18 through 19 says, If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. If you belong to the world... The world will love you as its own, because you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The word used here in the Greek is kosmos, which means orderly arrangement, decoration, by implication, the world. In a wide or narrow sense, including all of its inhabitants, literally or figuratively, morally, the world. I don't know about you, but as I've read this scripture in the past, and several other scriptures that talk about the world, my mind goes to my definition of the world. And how I define the world is usually as those who oppose my beliefs or do not agree with me. I have a tendency to call those people worldly. We could easily get a variety of answers by putting a poll here online or going around the sanctuary in person and asking who might be categorized as the world. We could talk to someone or follow their online presence and quickly see how they might define the world by what they choose to talk about, get, a, get upset about, or even praise. Whether a group of people, an individual, or an organization. The usage of the world in context here isn't us and them language. We are in the world. We are inhabitants in this orderly arrangement created by God, but we are not of it. This is not our home. Home for those who love God and believe in his word is in God and with God. Going back to John 17, verses 3 through 5, Jesus is before the world, and that's his place still. John 17, 15, Jesus prays, I am not asking you take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. It is not Christ's desire 
that his disciples hide away from the world, but that they be protected as they go out into all of the world, that they would be protected from the evil one. Again, curiosity strikes me here. And so, what is the evil one? The Greek here is panairos. And it means labors, annoyances, hardships, pressed and harassed by labors, bringing toils, annoyances, perils of a time full of peril to Christian faith and steadfastness, causing pain and trouble. This prayer, Jesus prays, is for focus. Jesus prays that his disciples, you and I, would be sanctified and prepared for the ministry ahead. That the focus would be on knowing God and making God known. And that they would not be distracted by the annoyances, toils, perils, and hardships. Because these things are the things that divide. In 2010, I was living in Georgia and I had the opportunity to take a youth group to uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area to work with a mission called uh, Mission Arlington. And in fact, the Grace Youth Group uh, went a couple of years ago and uh, engaged in some of the work there. And what this mission does is it goes and um, it opens its doors and people line up at 5 a.m., and they go and they express their needs, and this place meets those needs. They fill out an application. They say what they need. They have donations for furniture, for clothing, for food, um, much like the work that we engage here. Um, but they have this huge warehouse, and they have trucks, and they have mission teams that come from all over the country to go and serve for a week um, or longer. And um, so we went out. And uh, we did this in 2010, and I was with a group of guys um, and got the task of delivering some furniture. And so we were given a box truck, and the box trucks did not have side view mirrors. And uh, I was with a guy named Jamin and a guy named Brian, and um, they were part of my youth group. And so we went to go deliver this furniture, and we'd been delivering furniture all day. It was hot. It was the Texas heat in the middle of summer. And we get to this one apartment complex to deliver a couch. So we go, we unload the couch, and we start to carry it, and we realize this apartment is on the third floor of this apartment complex. So we attempt to start carrying this couch up the stairs. There's no elevator. There's no outside access to the third floor except for a staircase. And so we begin to try to carry it up the staircase and it's too wide. And so we assess the situation and we decide, well, if one of us goes, we can hold the couch up while the other two push it up and then one of us will run up and help the other person pull it to the next level. And so we did this for three floors. 
So we get the couch finally to the third floor. We set it outside the door and we knock. No answer. We knock again. There's no answer. We have the paperwork for the resident who needed this couch. And so we call the phone number. A lady answers. She lets me know that she's at work. And I say, okay, well, we're serving with Mission Arlington and we have your couch. Her first response was, what color is it? It was a maroon, burgundy colored couch, I explained. Her response was, that's just not going to work for me. Defeated, I ended the conversation. I tried to call the trip leader and got no response. So, we took the couch. We passed it from floor to floor, back to the ground, and loaded it back into the box truck. I got back to the mission. I found Matt, the trip director, the mission organizer, and I started to explain, Matt, let me tell you this story about delivering this couch. I tell him about how we lifted the couch up, and then I said, and then there was no answer at the door, and I called. And the lady on the other end said, this color will not work for me. Matt said, let me stop you right there. I don't even want to hear the rest of the story. If I listen to the rest of the story, I will lose sight of our mission. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The thief here, in the Greek, translates to embezzler, false teacher, who does not want to instruct but abuse students' confidence in them for personal gain. The evil one and the thief described in the passages of John seem to be the means that divide us. Our allegiance to a cause or a group, a tradition or idea can become our focus rather than our pursuit of the truth that sanctifies us. We like to believe that we have arrived and that we have God's love figured out and that it has to fit into our understanding. When this occurs, unity is based on our qualifiers rather than God's. There are factions of the church that gather to establish qualifiers for fellowship. The qualifier for Jesus is himself. The prize at the end of the race is Jesus. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, saying, Beloved, 
I do not consider that I have made it my own. But this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. The race looks different for each disciple. Different struggles, different burdens to bear. But for those who press on, there will be unity in the presence of God. We wait for it, long for it. But it must also be the lens we look through now as a church. The pursuit of unity and peace on earth as it is in heaven. The truth is, what Jesus modeled for us turns the twelve disciples, the religious leaders, and our understanding on its head. The outcast, marginalized, are invited to come and follow Jesus, break bread, and share in the cup of Christ. At our house, we have these metal chairs and we often lift the metal chairs up and sit them on top of the table while we vacuum and clean the floor in our kitchen. Our kids can't lift these chairs. And so they're content when they have a snack or something, if the chairs are up there and we don't realize it, to just stand because there's no seat for them at the table. There's a barrier. Recently heard on a podcast with Brian McLaren where he's defining biases and he defines them in words that begin with C and he talks about this one in particular comfort bias. He explains that our brains welcome things that relax and bring comfort but they also fight against hard work and difficult things. When community is described in the Bible it is usually in terms of work. Isaiah says that we work shoulder to shoulder. Galatians, carry one another's burdens. Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one. Feel reward for their toil. Hebrews 10 verse 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. It takes work to be sure that we don't neglect meeting together, especially when separation is declared reconciliation. We are united in our love of God, our belief in the Son, His truth, the death, burial, and resurrection. We are divided when our allegiance is to anything other than Christ, and we allow the evil one and the thief, division, to deter our focus on our united pursuit of God. Christ prays for complete unity. At the time, 
The vision was common in ancient politics and life. It is common now. And unity was a common plea and exhortation. And still is. If the prayer is for all believers to engage the world while knowing our home is the presence of God, then we have to fix our eyes on home and focus on the thing that unites us as followers of Jesus, our love of God, and choose that as our guide in this world rather than our allegiance to anything else. Amen.